0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I uh, just had an email from my brother, uh, who is o- who's also a pastor. Well, two brothers, other brothers are pastors, and they were playing golf and, on Friday. And uh, you know it's the Open in Scotland at the moment. Well, uh, one brother wrote and, uh, and said, uh, Thought you would like to see Tom playing in the British Open, tongue in cheek. And my reply to him, um, Brother Jack, was, What a swing. He's got potential wonder where the ball went? And Jack replied, it ricocheted off a tree and ended up in the water. And you know, that's just a bit like life, isn't it? Life is like that sometimes. And Paul says in Romans 8, 28 through 30, and i just paraphrase it a little, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And Paul says here, make sure I get this right. What then shall we say in response to this? In fact, what he's saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about all those, uh, the first eight chapters And what do you think about this up-to-date, this this letter that I've been writing to you, the church at Rome? Do you see what I've been getting at? Do you understand the full picture? Since God is for us, he says, who can be against us? Since God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Paul had a pastoral heart, and he wants us to understand how theology, and, and theology is the study of the, the revelation of God, what, how, how theology works out in practice. It's meaning for everyday life. So he talks about how we should handle the objections and the questions of our day. This past week also, I had a, a letter from a lady I led to the Lord about 30 years ago. And about 10 years After she'd come to know Christ as a personal Savior, uh, she had difficulties in her life, and uh, she went away from the Lord, and we've kept in touch with her over over the years, and it's been quite a journey for her. And she wrote this email in response to an email I had sent to her. She says, whether it be a broken heart or sick body, I've learned to accept each situation, and although I haven't consciously given these problems to the Lord or ask for his help I feel now that his strength was given anyway as you say God knows me so well and although I still don't walk beside him I guess I'm lagging a few steps behind maybe one day I'll catch up eh hey, that's how she ended her email Marie Marie is struggling. But Marie knows the God who's walked beside her as she struggled, even when she turned her back on God. And Paul knows in your mind and my mind, questions will arise as to whether we are really secure when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our own and personal Savior. So then he says, this God is for us. He's not only the judge on the bench, but He's the one who goes into the, 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 into the prisoner's dock to take our place. Not only to take our place, to take our sentence. He is for us past, present, and future. He reminded them, and I was in verse 30, those He called, He also called justified. He reminded them in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And justification is a big word. It basically means we're declared not guilty, no record of ever having done a wrong. Removed from our record, we're totally acquitted, legally as if we had never sinned, never been accused. We are marked and treated as being in a right standing before God. And he says this in this verse, or in the previous verse, verse uh, 31, I think it was, verse 30, he says, "Those he justified, he also glorified." Romans 3:23 tells us, "All have sinned, all, everyone." and come short of this glory, the glory of God. Humanity as a whole has come up short. They've missed the mark. But those in Jesus Christ one day will be what? Glorified. And Paul says this word glory is not something that we should take lightly. Now, remember Hebrews 1.3, it says, Christ is the radiance of God's glory. John, in his, I think it's 1.14, says, we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Peter says in his little letter, we we are eyewitnesses of His majesty. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We anticipate it more than we can imagine or dream about. Again, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those, you and me, who love Him. No one can even imagine what God's glory is like. Justification, says Martin Lloyd Jones, justification is not a process. Justific- a justification is not a process, sanctification is a process. What does sanctification mean? There's two key words in that word. Sanctification means holy, but also set apart for God's use. You'll see that in the temple in the Old Testament. The vessels were set apart for God's use, for the use in the temple, but they were holy. 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 Dennis Davidson tells of uh, a story in history of the cruel, sadistic Nero. And this was about the time Paul was writing. He was emperor in the first century. He was fascinated by the look of glory on the faces of a small band of Christians going to their death in the Colosseum. After prayer, they looked up and gazed far out into the beyond. And wondering about this, Nero said to an aide, they see something. Yes, sire, the aide reply. They see the glory of the resurrection from the dead. Romans eight seventeen says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, we shall also share in his glory. As he answers those questions, the above questions... Paul challenges us. Is God able to do the things He has promised? Is God able to meet you where you are? Is God able to do what He has promised in His words, the Bible? Is He able to do the things that, he has, uh, that Paul is re- uh, uh, God has revealed through Paul in the first eight chapters of this book? Are we clear about the gospel? the good news about Jesus Christ. See, when God saves you, He secures you. Nobody can take it away from you. Do I, do you live each day knowing the certainty residing in the great purpose of God for your life, for my life? That's why Paul says, in response, he says, what do you think about that? And then he says, if God, sends God before us, who can be against us? You know, major questions people are asking today are, are things like this. Does life have meaning and purpose? Why am I here? Is there a God? And do people feel free, yes, comfortable in approaching you and I and asking you about those questions that they have? Or are we distant from them because we're uncomfortable in the, with the questions that they're asking? Kathy Plate tells a story of a 5-year-old Andrew who was visiting a neighbor and he pulled out his kindergarten uh, class picture and immediately began destri- describing each classmate. This is Robert. He hits everybody. This is Stephen. He never listens to the teacher. This is Mark. He chases us and is very noisy. Now pointing to his own picture he said this. This is me. I'm just sitting here minding my own business. <laughs> it's easy to do that, isn't it? The danger is in the Christian life. We can become self-centered, sitting in judgment, helping no one. And you know, as I just as I. As I Recently returned, as you know, ministering in Spain and the UK. And and I listen to people asking these questions, but they're not asking of Christians. They're going elsewhere. Philosophers, popular gurus like Deepak Chopra, whose Hindu-based teachings proclaim reality as coming from universal energy. He says in his book, The Third Jesus you don't need to have faith in the Messiah or His mission. Instead, you have faith in the ha- vision of higher consciousness. Now, what does Hebrews say about that? Hebrews 11, one says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And verse 6, Without this faith, it is impossible to please God. The Dalai Lama Buddhism says, whether you believe in God or not does not matter much. Whether you believe in Buddha or not does not matter so much. As a Buddhist, whether you believe in reincarnation or not does not matter so much. What matters is you must live a good life. And then you have TV gurus, and there are many of them, Oprah being one, filling the void and applying philosophies and teachings to the deep essential questions people are asking today teaching there are many ways to God. And so no wonder people are confused. No wonder people are crying out for answers. They find themselves on a dead end, going nowhere. And in a world full of uncertainty, people hungry for meaning, people dying without Jesus Christ. What is my response to cultures and society needing hope and healing? Influenced by worldly secular philosophies rather than taking counsel and direction from the Bible. God's revealed truth. Remember what the Dalai Lama said in Buddhism? Whether you live, whether you believe in God doesn't matter much. You must live a good life. Now, what does the Bible say about that? Ephesians 2 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is God's gift. It's not a works, lest any one of you should boast. Oprah says, many ways to God. Chopra in Hinduism says, absolute truth is blind truth. What does Jesus says, John 14:6? I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father. But through me. And Jesus also said, Jesus also said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, this Word of God, 2 Corinthians three sixteen seventeen 17 says, all Scripture is inspired by God. There's a New Living Translation. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way. Fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. We had a hit record. Life then changed. I remember fear entering my life and thinking, this is it. Ignore the worry and go for it. Inside, I was running. I was struggling desperately with all the attention on and off the stage, finding myself around lawyers and and men in suits quite unable to understand their speak. I learned to wear a smile. As I realized people wanted me to be happy because I was famous and it helped me move around places where, without having to confess that I was dying inside, lonely, lost. And so began the search for deeper meaning. Why is this happening? Why am I here? Does anyone care? I saw that everyone was searching for answers. And I learned personally that behind fame's game and success's trophies, behind all the decadence, rich or poor, there is the same cry going on inside everyone. Is there anyone who really loves me? Who will love me when I'm I'm not in control? Hold me and give me a sense of belonging and complete me. Who? I read everything from Buddhism, which we stated to gurus, and the Koran, and the new Age umbrella of Eastern ideologies. And one, one, one night I asked my mom if she had a Bible. And that night I opened it and read. I don't know what I read, and certainly don't understand it, but I remember peace falling over me like a river. A warmth flowed through me, a sense of belonging. I knew, I knew I had experienced and what I'd been looking for. A, a divine experience that had occurred, and it was something to do with the author of this book. I made the decision to visit a local church, which I did. And after the service, I remember thinking, hmm, no one spoke to me. Perhaps God's not there. Then I turned the corner and met Bonnie, an old friend who used to bleach my hair, a woman of the booze, drugs, and men scene. I looked at her and saw another person, and not physically so much, but, but internally, her eyes held a glow that was compelling. I had no idea who the Holy Spirit was at that time, And during coffee together, I asked Bonnie what had changed her life, for she was changed. She explained to me that she had placed her life by faith into the life of Jesus Christ, and that she was a believer. And I couldn't believe it. Bonnie took me to the church, her church, that weekend. And there I found my Lord and Savior. Now, if you're in the UK or Europe, the name Yaz, and I shared this testimony with some of you, is a name that is known because of the music industry. Um, her manager, who was her husband, managed bands like Wham and other famous bands. She had a number of hit records, but now what is she doing today? She's the worship coordinator for the... International Baptist Church in the Costa de Sol in Spain. Excuse my voice. I kind of lost it in Spain. I'm getting it back a bit. When I was pastor there through interim pastor 2010 and 2012, she has numerous opportunities today to tell people about this Jesus that has found her, saved her. Even with the Billy Graham organization, but also in media and concerts and that, and she's a dear friend to Anne and I. A lovely woman. It reminded me, as I was reading that, of, of Leslie, who um, was a rock singer who came into one of the churches I pastored, and, and she sat there and, and she said to me something. She said at the end of the service, I never understood one thing you said. Really encouraging. But she said, I got, <laughs> I got hold of this. God has a purpose for my life. God has a purpose for my life. And in the joy leading Leslie to know Christ as her personal Savior, turned from darkness to light. And as she shared with me, she was on the, the brink of ending it all. This is an encouragement to Sunday school teachers. And she says, my Sunday school teacher had said to me, if you're ever in a tight spot, Leslie, as you grow older, and you feel God is nowhere. Just cry out to him, God, if you're there, help me. And I did that. And I felt this peace. And I found myself outside the door of your church. And I came in. And I've now found Christ to be real in my life. I'm sure that's not me, is it? Well, In the Old and New Testament, God's people counseled, we are counseled, you and I are counseled to apply His values in personal lives, family life, church life. And Many of our families or members in our families are lost without Christ, perhaps because we haven't shared with them. Perhaps people come to church and they don't hear don't have an arm around them, just asking them how they are. If we, if you and I really believe Jesus Christ has changed the course of history, if it has made an impact, we are commanded by the Spirit to be filled with him that he might be seen in our lives, that he might be exalted. Alec like McLaren says, Alec McLaren says this, the sum of the whole matter is this, he who is one in will and heart with God is a Christian. He who loves God is one in will and heart with Him. He who trusts Christ loves God. That is Christianity in its ultimate purpose and result. That is Christianity in its means and working forces. That is Christianity in its starting point and foundation. Notice what he said in verse 32. He says... Now I'm just... um, There we are. Getting used to this. He says this. He, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He did not spare his own son from the treatment that Judas and the soldiers and Pilate and the religious leaders and Satan, his adversary, did to him. God gave him up to all that. God in His grace did not hold them back. It was in love. He gave them up, gave Him up. But Christ's death was more than betrayal and rejection and denial and cruelty and beatings and scourging and crucifying. Here was Jesus Christ, our substitute, took our place, our atonement, He paid the price. We often forget this most important thing. The thing he dreaded in the garden of Gethsemane, that he would be, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, made sin, made sin for us. Galatians 3, 15, made a curse for us. Gethsemane was bad and it tortured his only soul. Luke 22, 42, 44, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like great drops of blood. God, his Father, poured his wrath, his wrath, on his only Son. Why? The full wrath of God, the full penalty for sin, demanded by God because he was just. But he's also the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Those of us, humanity broken his law, but Christ too paid the price at Calvary. Do not dilute. Let you and I not dilute what God did in Calvary to his son. Calvary was where he would pay the ultimate cost of sin. He was pass- to pass through an experience where he would feel complete abandonment, forsaken by his father. This is simply not a human martyr a great teacher, a prophet, a philosopher, or even someone dying for his principles, God's eternal purpose is in view here in Calvary. His mind has been set from eternity, God's mind, that Christ would die for the sin of mankind. God did not spare His own Son. He gave Him up for you and for me. He delivered them up. It wasn't only the judgment on the cross, but it was a spectacle before principalities and powers. Colossians 2, 14, 15, in the New Living Translation, he canceled, that's Christ, canceled the record that contained the charges against him. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed He shamed those evil rulers publicly by His victory over them on the cross of Jesus Christ. He did it for you. He did it for me. Recently in Europe, I had supper with a Jewish couple and um, I could see quickly as he shared with me he was immensely rich. I also saw that the was a Hungarian his wife who was a Jewess raised in, both of them were Jews, raised, He, she was raised in Israel, second marriage. Very successful. Long story short, really, to say that as we shared, I was looking for an opportunity, didn't give too much. He was only a secular Jew. He only went on specific days. Like somebody just going for, as a Christian, or not, as a, as a I use that, we use that word too lightly, as someone just goes to church Christmas, Easter. He was like that, and I was looking for this opportunity, and he just happened to mention something about the ritual, and I said, you know, I knew a man in a church. He was a city mayor of a church in America, and uh, sorry, in a city in America, and he lived not far from where the church was. And I remember his wife was a Christian, and I remember ministering to her as she was dying with cancer. And um, I said, You know, I'd moved on to another church. And one day my secretary said, There's a man called Mark. He's, he wants to speak to you. So I lifted the phone, and, and I think I've shared this with one or two. Is he said these words, and I shared this with this Jew I found the Messiah. I found the Messiah. Oh, he was shouting. He was enthusiastic. And he says, I'm going to come in my Harley, and I'm going to come to where you live, where the church is, and I want you to baptize me. I want to give evidence right away that something's happened in my life. I said, "Well, hold on a bit. I said, there's a church not far from you where I was. You go there, but send me your testimony. Seven pages, he said. He turned to this book. And God had opened his eyes. And as I shared with this other Jew, he said to me, That's okay for him. And I'm praying for Ron. And he keeps in touch with us, and I keep in touch with him. And you never know what God will do in his life. And that brings me to the ultimate grace. Uh, The ultimate. I I can't read this, Mark. There we are. I'm just going to hit this one. That's it? The ultimate grace. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? John Newton, who uh, wrote Amazing Grace, said this, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, this this verse is telling us God gives us everything in Christ. Everything that happens to us has purpose. Purpose. He gives us all things, not only spiritual things. He gives us physical things. He gives us material things. And so we find that this all things is also included in in, in, in chapter 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. He works for the good of those who love Him. They're called according to His purpose. What I'm basically saying here, nothing happens to us as God's children that isn't part of His sovereign plan. And God's plan is to bless us and bring us good. John Piper says, he sums up this so beautifully, he says, God is taking, back, taking every setback and every discouragement and every controversy, or over here, contra- controversy, controversy, yeah, and every pressure and every pain and stripping it, get a hold of this, and stripping of it of its destructive power and making it work for the enlargement of my joy in God. God shows us our need and challenges us to experience His guidance and His grace. We confess That it is God who initiates salvation, who ordains the death of His Son, and we believe it with all our being. The ultimate grace. God did not spare His one and only eternal Son, but gave Him up, gave Him up, delivered Him up for us. So, what's the ultimate conclusion of all this? The ultimate conclusion. Am I right or wrong? I can't see this, sorry. You change it, Mark. (laughs) There's no charge, verses 33, 34, and there's no condemnation. Even ISIS fighters, cruel as they are, and Buster shared something about them last week. There's a headline, ISIS fighters declare war on the cross. And a missionary shared that an ISIS fighter recently had a vision of the cross, and he said this, for an ISIS fighter, that is not good news, that is bad news. The militant went online, came across a a Christian website and became more interested. He left Syria, went to Turkey, where he met someone who was able to tell him more about Jesus. He came to faith, and he shared his testimony at a church in Lebanon. Praise God. He's working. Another ISIS fighter who enjoyed killing Christians, especially Christians, wants to follow Jesus after what? Dreaming of a man in white who told him, you are killing my people. And he came. He was converted. Says, I think it was Christianity Day, he was converted to his victim's religion. Reminded me of the vision Paul had, Saul then, On the Damascus road, Acts 9.19, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. They don't realize in their cruelty that they are persecuting God, Jesus himself. And there is a price to pay. God is just. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans five eight God commends His love towards us in that why we were yet Chris, sinners Christ died for us. I hesitated sharing this email, but I'm going to do that. We've seen such forgiveness in the city of Charleston in recent days, and. sent an email to my children just a couple of weeks back. The events of the past day, 10 days in Charleston have made mum and I rethink and pray through our priorities. I shared with mum how I have been challenged again about my obedience to God. So easy to be judgmental, to look down on, be prejudiced against those who think, act, and believe differently from me. As followers of Christ, Mom and I are called to love, forgive, serve, give, and so on. Love the Lord our God with all my, our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. To love others as God loved us is a command. Please hear me, I'm saying to my kids, and I've only edited this. Over the years, I've failed. Yes, sinned as a fa- son, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, and even as a pastor. I have no hidden agenda as I write this. My reason in writing is to say that if I have wronged you by some word, some act, and so on, I ask for your forgiveness. I'm only a sinner saved by grace, amazing grace, and I continually need God's forgiveness. Mom and I are determined to give our best, to discover God's best, and to go for it. God alone calls the shots in our lives. This past week has produced this serious reflection of mine. I want His will. Love, Dad. Long way to go, I said, but Philippians 3.14, I press towards the mark for the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I share that personally because it might affect somebody here. My kids all love the Lord. My kids are following the Lord, serving the Lord, But they need to hear a father, a grandfather saying, I failed. Perhaps I failed you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. What is the the conclusion to all this? Righteousness as a believer is credited to our account. And the evidence of that flows from our um, transformation as a new creation in Jesus Christ. We've got that right standing. We've got that justification. We've got that hope of glorification. But we're called to live as set apart for God. I do conclude with this. In Spain, Sue introduced me into the lives of two men, avid golfers. Now, I'm not a golfer. My two brothers are, my my son in law is, and my son is. And you know, Cliff was the first one, and it was in 2010, and I conducted his funeral. And his wife had shared with me, and she told me initially, I don't want to know hymns, or I, I want a secular funeral. And that's difficult. And Sue was very diplomatic. She, her husband is a non-Christian who is an oil executive and has no time for God, even though he was raised in a Christian home. But Sue has connections into the golf clubs. And she's a lovely, godly woman. And so she said, well, you want Yaz to sing, but Yaz won't sing anything irreligious. She only sings Christian songs, especially in church. She says, okay, I want you asked to sing. Well, let's have amazing grace and abide with me. And it turned out to be a gospel service. But I shared that Cliff was looking for answers in his final days, but he kept his thoughts to himself. And we don't know whether he ever trusted Christ. He was a senior executive with Holidays and Ice. And that funeral was packed, absolutely packed with stars and executives from all around the world. His favorite quote was this, and it really struck me. His wife had shared that it's not the things you do that you regret in life, but the things you don't do. Think about those words. It's not the things you do that you regret in life, it's the things that you don't do. And the other golfer later on I met, saw him in the back seat. And as I shared with him later and got to know him, he confessed that he'd never come to church before. Both of these were in their 60s. He says, "But I was diagnosed with cancer. I've not long to live." And Sue invited me to church, and I came, and I found Jesus here. And as I met with him in his home, before he passed on, was taken to heaven we talked about his death and his future and i was certain he was going home you no know, friends i'm 72 you might you might not look that, you're 72 but you know as you get older you begin to realize The importance of following Jesus with all your heart all your life and making sure you communicate it to your friends and to your family that Jesus is real for you and you just don't preach at them you live it before them and we all feel that but if you know Jesus this morning there are people who are hungry hungry to know Jesus and we're not telling them and they're going elsewhere i 'm pleading with you this morning, you have god 's word, and it 's so relevant i 'm just going to say here this morning, as I read the final verses of of, of the, the verses of that passage, just think about the words, because John Bacon, who was a, a famous sculptor, had as, a, as a, a tomb in Westminster Abbey. he says this, what I was as an artist seemed of some importance to me while I was while I lived, but what I was as a believer in Jesus Christ is the only important thing right now. That's the vital thing for now, for the future. Listen to the word and we we'll close. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? how, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. These are the ultimate questions listed here. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who? Who shall separate us from, what? The love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And at the end he says, no. In all these things, In Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a gospel. By grace, you're saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's God's gift to you. Not of works, lest any one of us should boast. If you don't know this Jesus today, He knows you. He knows all about you. You don't need to put on a front with him. He knows you. He sees you sitting up there. He sees you down there in the Christian Life Center in the gym. He sees every one of you here. But he sees more than the outward. He sees you inside. And he sees the pain. And he sees the sin. And he sees the need. And he says to me, says to you, Come unto me all you that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May God speak to our lives and our hearts. Father, I thank You that You're God, Sovereign, Lord, Supreme. Wherever we live, wherever we're from, wherever we plan to go, this moment has eternal significance. And I ask, O God, that each of us may determine that Christ is everything to us we put our faith, who died that we might live, who lives that we might never die. We bless you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen.